John chapter 21, verse 19 is part of last week's text. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So just a refresher, if you'll remember, Jesus had some very harsh words for Peter and essentially asked him in the end, do you love me like you say you love me? And Peter was very grieved. And Jesus said, follow me. And, And Jesus explained the kind of death he was going to have. You're going to be taken places you don't want to go. Peter understood following him could mean that he is going to be killed, just like Jesus was, who is now risen from the dead, and Peter wouldn't be able to do that. So we pick up with our text with verse 20 right now. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and he said, Lord, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So I hope you understand, this is John talking about himself. So Peter, after Jesus said, follow me, Jesus got up and walked. Peter got up and followed. And John got up and followed both of them. And Peter turns and he looks and he sees John and he, and he says to Jesus, well, what about him? <laughs> That's what this is. I don't know who else got up and followed, but clearly John was the closest one that was. Jesus said to him, verse 22, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You Follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now you might notice a footnote there in the slide up behind me, brothers. And that word for brothers actually comes from the word that was just used in our text last week, that philaos, you remember that? The word we get the city of brotherly love from, Philadelphia. So it does mean brothers, but the reason why there's a footnote there is because so many translations today will now say brothers and sisters, because we live in a world where people like to be offended about everything. I mean, it's people just get their feelings hurt all the time over the dumbest stuff. They, and, and then the really weird thing about that is you're supposed to somehow know that they're going to misinterpret something and then get their feelings hurt. And then when you don't understand that they've misinterpreted something and get their feelings hurt, now you're in the wrong because their feelings are hurt. And that's the way crowds respond. If somebody gets their feeling hurt, feelings hurt, and even if they're wrong, they misunderstood something, everybody wants to pile on the person who clearly spoke. Jesus clearly spoke. However, whether I don't think it's John, because if you, if you pay attention, John's the one who's clarifying. He's the one that is inspired to say, it's, he didn't say this. What people are interpreting that John's never going to die, he didn't say that. But clearly, whoever else heard this 
spread it. Well, Jesus, Jesus said that John's never going to die. And John says, he didn't say that. This is what people do with Scripture as well. We have a whole lot of people that turn their cable on to Trinity Broadcasting Network, which is one of the most popular Christian stations. They have a lot of good on there, but they also have a lot of garbage on there. Because in order to make money, if you're going to put something on a TV channel, you've got to figure out a way to make money. So you put commercials, you know, people pay for a commercial to be in the middle, then, then you can generate some money that, that could fund your ministry that's on the cable channel. Or you can ask the people to send money. And if you're going to ask the people to send money, they're going to try to come up with a way that's tangible. How do you get somebody who's watching the TV to send money? Well, you offer things to them. And then people cross lines sometimes and offer healing. You know, if you send this money, we'll pray for you. I don't know if you remember, but a famous, I won't name him, but a famous uh, televangelist got caught because somebody went through the big garbage dumpsters outside and they found a bunch of unopened envelopes that had no checks in them. But they found a bunch of opened envelopes. Letters were still in there mentioning that they put a check in there, but the checks were taken out. So the only envelopes that were getting opened were the ones that they could hold up to a light and see a check in. So the people that were just sending in their prayers weren't even getting prayed for. That's the kind of stuff that happens when you go outside of what God has described as His church. There are people, plenty of people, especially since COVID, that'll watch television church and feel like they're in church. And the reality is they're not. I mean, there's been some benefits. When, with COVID, when churches you know, broadcast their services and people sat in their homes and did church in their homes, families began to, act, began to act like families like they used to. You know, they're doing church together and they're praying together and they're worshiping together. That's wonderful. But they weren't doing it with a physical church. And anytime you get outside of what God describes as His church, that's when you start getting problems. Now, parachurch organizations are great. We have seminaries. Boise Bible College, one of our missions. We've got all kinds. We've got Pleasant Valley Christian Camp. It's a wonderful mission. Those are wonderful missions. We've got, we do these parachurch organizations, but don't be confused. That's not the church. That's parachurch. So we don't need to think that doing these other things is just, just like church. Just like sitting at home and watching church on TV and, and even worshiping at home. That's not church. And we do a lot of things similarly. We just need to understand Scripture is clear. Jesus spoke clearly, and yet people misinterpreted, and they ran with it. People do this all the time. They'll, they think that Scripture is Scripture. They think that a, a saying is Scripture when it's not. Like God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible. People say that, you know, well, if it's, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. God will make it happen. Or if it happened, it must have been God's will. That's, that's a stretch. Scripture doesn't teach that. So be careful. We need to be very careful with the Scripture we are given. 
Here, the one that's in front of us right now, this passage, there's a phrase twice in it, and I've underlined one, I come. Do you see that up behind me? And the reason why I do this is because people misinterpret many times Scripture because the translation doesn't really say what the Greek actually says. We ran into that last week, and that's the same thing we're running into right now. So here's the, the Greek You'll see it up behind me. Here's how you say it in the transliteration in English. Erkomai. And it can be translated, come or go. Well, that presents a little bit of a problem, doesn't it? When you read in Matthew, Jesus talking about the signs that these things are going to happen. When you see the Son of Man, same word, Erkomai, coming, on the clouds, could be translated going on the clouds. And he hasn't ascended to heaven yet because he was teaching this earlier in his ministry. He's teaching about when you see these signs. So he's not died, he's not been crucified, he's not been risen from the dead, and he's not ascended to heaven. So that's still in the future when he says, here are some of the signs. One of them is when you see me coming or going on the clouds. And people read that and they think, oh, well, he has to come back on the clouds for these before the temple's going to get destroyed. Well, no, it actually got destroyed in 70 AD, so the better translation would be going, if you know all of that. Um, so when you see the Son of Man going on the clouds would be one of the signs. So when he ascended to heaven, the disciples were thinking, oh, that's one of the signs. And then there's wars and rumors of wars and famines. Okay, the temple's about to get destroyed. And that is exactly the way they responded, which is why the Christians, according to Josephus, fled Judea like Jesus instructed. When you see these signs, get out of town. Flee Judea. Josephus said not one man, woman, or child was killed as Rome sieged Jerusalem in 70 AD because they all understood Jesus meant going on the clouds, not coming on the clouds. But I've yet to find any translation that says going. And here, if it is my will that he remain until I go, it could be that. It's come or go. I just wanted you to be aware that is a variable in Scripture in the New Testament. When you see come, it could be translated go. John chapter 21, verse 4, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written, has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So John is saying that he was there, he is the one who's writing these things, and we all know it's true. This is real. He's the author of this gospel. Verse 25, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. <clears throat> I read that to you last week because it's a predictor. Um, or not last week, a couple of weeks ago in chapter 20. And this is what it said in chapter 20 is why I read what I just read. Chapter 20, verse 30. And 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Those two seem very parallel. It seems almost wrong to read them all by themselves, not with the other verses. That is the end of John. <laughs> and if you've been through this whole journey, we've actually gone through and done an, done an entire study through the Gospel of John. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of insightful stuff in here. So let us review. You'll see up behind me, and it's probably going to be difficult to see, but where we started uh, with a Mother's Day message was just preceded this message series, and the series itself actually didn't begin till uh, the 22nd of uh, June or uh, May in uh, last year. <clears throat> and you can see several things we've gone over up behind me. We talked about the concept, the very first part we went over, the concept, it was always about Jesus. You see a Greek word come up behind me, and you'll see the transliteration. The way you say it is logos. And the way that's translated is this, concept or idea. That's the best translation. You'll see it as the word word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Remember that? But it means the very concept or idea. And Jesus was with God in the beginning. All along from the time of creation, God had this concept of Jesus. And everything wraps around, everything that, makes, that has to do with anything that we know is connected to Jesus. That's what is, that is all about. And that's kind of cool. We talked about several things you can see up behind me, uh, multiple different subjects. Uh, if you'll remember in John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, we talked about a guy. There was a controversial passage. Remember, there's a missing verse. But this guy who was an invalid for almost 40 years, he was mangled. He didn't have the bone density or muscles that you need to actually stand. He had mangled legs. And yet Jesus healed him. And after he healed him, after he told him to pick up his mat and walk, people who wanted to kill Jesus started to become critical, and they went to the man who was carrying his mat. Clearly, he's healed. But instead of praising God for this miracle, they said, who told you to pick up your mat and walk? It's the Sabbath. Who told you to do that? The man who healed me told me to do that. Well, who was it? I don't know. He didn't know who Jesus was. He had no faith whatsoever in Jesus, yet Jesus healed him. And then one day he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, Jesus told him to stop sinning so nothing worse would happen to him. And instead of saying, you're the one who healed me. Thank you. I'm so glad I can walk. Instead, he pointed him out to the people who wanted him dead and said, there's the guy who healed me right there. What an ingrate. That's what we learned. We got to John chapter 6, and if you'll remember, we learned when he fed the 15,000 plus people, 
that Jesus' abundance is always greater than our need. Because when it was all over, he told his disciples to pick up the leftovers, and it said there were 12 basketfuls, which means each disciple had an overflowing basket of fish and bread. And if you'll remember, before they did that, he, he played tricks on them. He questioned them. And they came up with this. They had a meeting, clearly, because they said, it would cost this much. We can't afford that. Send them away. And he instead sent them after the miracle to collect the baskets. And so they had to visually see that Jesus' abundance is always greater than our need. That was a wonderful passage to expose and learn that kind of thing. And then we can go to the next slide. You'll see a few more. Beyond the surface, we talked about that last week. Jesus knows what's beyond the surface. That's when he walked on water. <clears throat> All kinds of cool things. You can see all the titles up behind me. Very different subjects, different topics, things that are very practical to us. And then we got past Thanksgiving, uh, we did a thing where we played some 70s rock uh, from Larry Norman. A line in it was, you can't see nothing when you close your eyes. And it's just kind of a a funny expression. We'll go to the next one. And we enter into the 2023 in this this slide with these messages. All kinds of cool stuff. You've got in John chapter 11, that's where Lazarus, Lazarus was raised from the dead. And because of this, the people were so irritated that hated Jesus, they put a hit out on Jesus. It was definitely clear they were going to kill him. And then you go fast forward down the line, you can... See, we, uh, we did take a line out of a movie, You Can't Handle the Truth. Remember that. Remember we had a guest speaker from Boise Bible College, Scott Lurick also, who actually preached through our series, expository series in John, and he did an excellent job. It was good to have him. All kinds of things there uh, that we covered. And if you'll remember when we got to, let me see where we are here. We did talk about the shortest verse in the English Bible. Do you remember that? Does anybody remember where it is? John chapter 11, verse 35 is where it is. And then it's the shortest verse in the English Bible. Don't be confused. It's not the shortest verse in the Bible. And the word you, some of you already said when I asked where it is, you said Jesus wept. That is the verse. And it was pretty cool because we focused on that and looked at it. it <laughs> The verse that would be a very common verse, especially at church camp, we're taking a couple of kids to church camp this week and next week, and anytime they're, they're given free reign, like memorize the verses in the Bible, like when we do at our carnival, and you know, people, you can win tickets for every verse that you memorize, probably the most common verse that is going to be used is that shortest verse in the English Bible, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. And I do think it's by the hand of God that this would be the one that we quote a lot because it's so short and easy. Because it shows us that Jesus loves people so much. He hurts when we hurt, even though it doesn't make sense. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, he could have easily said, stop your crying, I'm here, I'm going to fix it. And instead, he simply cried with them. Knowing it was going to be okay, he still hurt when they hurt. 
They didn't need to continue hurting because he was there to fix it. But he still hurt because they hurt. And that's the Jesus we serve. And if you'll remember also, we were given a, an emphasis in John chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, and I called it the big one another, and that is love one another. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. <clears throat> That's one of those things that we will be talking about when we go through those classes I was talking about so that we can be ready for when new people come because we absolutely Christians, members of Central Kitsap Christian Church, of all the things we've got to get right, is love one another. That's the commandment. It's a big one. Love God, love others, in that order. Because too many times we get so caught up in ourselves, we don't even think about how what we say impacts other people in a positive or negative way. Because we're so self-centered, we love ourselves more than we love God and love others. I got to see this play out recently, and I do know that my the families of the prisoners in my care listen to the, these messages, so they're going to hear it. And I got to see this play out because we had a, a, a weird situation where the preacher, which is me, decided... You know, what we were going to do is we were going to have the band come up on the stage and play a song, and then we were going to play a video. So the band was going to leave the stage, play a video, and then the van, band was going to come back on the stage and then continue the worship songs. And before the worship service started, about an hour and a half before it started, I was talking to the, the worship leader that morning. We have three bands. And we decided that it would be better... It was my decision, but we both talked about it. It'd be better to just have the worship team come up on the stage all at the same time and stay there. So just play, play the video first. <clears throat> Got allergies. Anyway, so we, we decided, okay, let's not have the band on the stage to start. Let's just have the video start. And I would go up and introduce the video. So as the band starts coming in, they come in first before everybody else. So they start coming in. So the worship leader hits them at the door and says, you don't need to, you don't need to go up on the stage. We're going to play a video first. And one of the band members got insulted, got his feelings hurt. What? I feel like I'm not wanted. And he took another band member with him. And they both went downstairs, and as the other people were coming, as the congregation was coming, he began sharing with everybody that he saw. I'm not going to go to a place where I'm not welcome. I'm not going where I'm not welcome. We're not going where we're not welcome. They did this all the way out on the breezeway as the crowds are coming. So as people come in planning to worship, that's not the first thing on their mind. The first thing on their mind is, why is my church not welcoming people? And so that's what they're all talking about. How come we're, we're dis-welcoming people? We're pushing people away. How come my church is not welcoming people? There's people that are on the stage every week. How come they're not welcome? That's the whole sentiment that was spread through the whole room. You talk about not ready for worship. People weren't ready for worship. 
and because somebody got their feelings hurt. And even if you are wronged, even if you feel like you have your feelings hurt, even if you don't like something that's happening in the church, or you don't like something about the church, please do not go around and contaminate everybody else with your negativity. Don't. Do you not know how self-centered that is? How you can disrupt everyone else's worship. The Holy Spirit, every Sunday morning, every time there's a worship service, the Holy Spirit is ready to grab a hold of people and help them get closer to Jesus and live for Him in a better way and shine the light of Christ in dark places. But the devil is trying very hard to undermine that. And so if the devil can get inside one of us and get us to go around and negative, 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 and make people feel like, man, I don't like this drama. You can just ruin the worship experience for a whole lot of people. And the Holy Spirit won't be able to get other people's attention because now the devil has got them distracted through us. So we've got to get down the love one another thing. We've got to put ourselves aside, put God first and others second. And this is something that many of us struggle with. Jesus also emphasized, um, if you'll um, remember, uh, John chapter 14, verse 1 to 6, he's the only way. Remember that says, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He emphasized that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's what he said. And then we, we'll go to the next slide. You'll see some more as we're getting closer to today. All those different things. We interjected a Resurrection Sunday message which seemed a little redundant because we got to the crucifixion a few weeks later, but it's always good on Resurrection Sunday to emphasize the resurrection of Christ, so that's when we did that. But there's one I want you to pay attention to. You'll see it uh, up behind me, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. And the reason why I've got this one with a square around it is because this is big. This is probably the biggest of all the things that we went over in John. This is probably the biggest newsflash, the biggest revelation, the biggest what? The biggest aha. It's very, very big. And I'll remind you by showing you a slide that I showed you before, so up behind me. The idea was fairly new to many of us, and it was a new thing to me that I learned from hearing Kyle Eidelman preach, and I had to research it myself because I actually didn't believe him. And as I researched it, I could not believe what I was seeing. If you'll remember, I looked in 46 of the most popular translations today, and all 46 said it in one way or another like this. You'll see the English Standard Version up in the middle. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The idea is that he either cuts off or takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. And that is not what the Greek says. It's not. The word is aero. You see that up behind me. Aero is the way you really say it. And it means he or she lifts. 
So the better translation, you see the very bottom of the slide, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. If he sees you struggling, he lifts you up. And for so many years, hundreds of years, people have taught if he sees you struggling, he cuts you off. No, that's not what it says. If he sees you struggling, he lifts you up. If you're not bearing fruit, and sometimes I ask these questions in a very personable way, because oftentimes the people who have the strongest opinions about the way they want church to happen are people that never demonstrate any evidence that they're leading a whole bunch of people to Christ. You know, you know, there's people that have strong opinions. This is the way we should do church. This is the way it should be. Where are all the people that you're leading to Christ? How come you know this? You know? And I'll say questions like this, like, so you're leading people to Christ? You're really working on that? Can you name them on your fingers? Are we going to see them here some Sunday morning? some point, you know, that's, those are hard things for a preacher to ask the question like that. Like, oh, ouch. But when Jesus sees people who are struggling to bear fruit, he lifts them up. He doesn't cut you off, doesn't take you away. And in our study of John, that may be the most powerful thing that we learned as we journeyed through in John chapter 15. So hang on to that thought. And then we've got the last slide. You see it behind me that's got the list uh, where we talked about basically the Passion Week. We just went through all of these things in the last few weeks. And of course, today's message you see up there, pay careful attention to His Word we're given. And because that is clearly what John's trying to get us to do, and I think it's by the hand of God, he inspired John at the very end to clarify. To, he wants us to pay attention to what Jesus said. People said that John might never die. That's not what he said. So we want to pay careful attention to the, his word we're given. Because of that, I want to give you a quote from another passage 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. <clears throat> so as Paul is exhorting Timothy to be a good evangelist, a young man who's been placed in charge of the church at Ephesus where apostles are there as elders, where he's told specifically, see to it that these elders meet these qualifications and the deacons meet these qualifications. And see to it that you watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Doctrine is an issue of salvation. In those topical messages that we're going to do this summer, there's, there's two of them that are very emphatic doctrinally. We're going to focus on what does that mean, the apostles' teaching? The church has dedicated itself to the apostles' teaching. What is that? And should we be dedicating ourselves to the doctrines of God? 
Of course, it's an issue of salvation. We're also going to talk about one of those is um, a warning to be careful of extra-biblical revelation. Doctrine matters. And so we want to make sure that we align ourselves with Scripture. Because if we don't, we'll find ourselves in trouble. It's an issue of salvation. We've gone through John. We've learned a lot. Be careful with the Scripture that you have been given. And it's been somewhat academic. As we've gone through, we've, we've gone through a lot of different Greek words, a lot of different ways to, to take these Greek words and apply them to our lives and how we think. <clears throat> Oftentimes what we think is we learn these things, and it could be really big, a big temptation for somebody like me. I'm learning as I'm going. I want to learn new things. I want to share them with you. And as I'm learning, it's like, this is good for you. (laughs) But the reality is, this whole book is good for me. And when I'm learning something that I might think needs to apply to you, I have to always remember, it applies to me first. I can't change you, but I can change me. And God has me learn this so that I can examine me and change. It'd be real easy for somebody like me who's been preaching for a long time to think I've got it all figured out. I don't. I I never will have it all figured out. God will constantly be teaching me until I die. Because He is so wise. And everything I learn has to apply to me. What I learn, I need to examine myself and make sure I do better. Even in subjects where where I feel like I have mastery, I have to work on me. I have to be able to do better. And the moment that I think that I've got it all figured out or that I don't have anything to work on is the moment you need to get a new preacher (laughs) because that would be a very arrogant person standing up here. And I tell you all that because you need to be looking at you. I need to be looking at me. You need to be looking at you. I don't have it all figured out. You don't either. I don't have it all aligned with Scripture like I'm supposed to. Neither do you. I I don't just need to read Scripture and, yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I I already know that. No, we always go to Scripture trying to find out what it is that God wants wants us to do. We've been through John. You've learned a lot in John, but you still have more to learn in John. Let's pray. God, we love you. You're so good to us. We can read the same thing over and over again and learn something new every time, new application, something that we need to change. Forgive us, Lord, when we're so arrogant that we think it's everybody else that needs to change and not us. Help us, Lord, to take our blinders off so that we can self-examine, so that we can openly and honestly look at what we need to change so that we are not roadblocks to others, not roadblocks to your purpose. God, help us as we try to be better reaching our community, our families, our friends, and 
co-workers, and classmates. Forgive us, Lord, when we lose focus. Help us to get on track when we get off track. Help us to always keep our priorities of loving you and loving others and ourselves last. Help us as a church, as the devil tries to come in and interfere with what you would have us do, help us to do our part. Protect your church. Protect the individuals within it. And God, may we represent you well. Thank you for teaching us through the wonderful gospel of John. Keep teaching us more, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.